This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, if you're waking up in County Carlow this morning, you should be reminded that large areas of the county still remain subject to a boil water notice, which means that you need to boil water before using it for human consumption. Areas affected include Carlow Town, Tinroyland, Nurney and Kernanstown. Ballyloo, Palatine, Clary Grange and Rathvilly, Tullow, Ardaton, Ballon, Ratho, Benakerry and Tankardstown. So you should remember, boiling uh, water must be done before you drink it. Make a drink from water, prepare salads or similar foods, uh, or if you're brushing your teeth. And don't forget, if you're making ice, discard the ice cubes in freezers and filtered water in fridges. That's if your fridge is one of those fancy ones that makes ice at the moment because the water is risky. But back to business. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. Uh, This morning on the bottom line, the motor industry is a hugely important business sector in our local and national economy and it hasn't had an easy time over the last number of years, even before COVID. This morning we bring a more optimistic slant as the sector begins the crucial second half of the year. We'll be talking about the issues with Tom Cullen, Deputy Director General of the Society of the Motor Industry in Ireland. If the motor industry and indeed many other sectors have been challenged, to put it mildly and to use that sometimes overused word, then licensed vintners have been devastated over the last 16 months with some businesses in the sector open for less than three weeks during that time. In what's been another trying week for the sector and some uncertainty still hanging over reopening, we talked to Vintners Federation of Ireland Chief Executive Podrick Cribben. And we'll be bringing you another in our series of 20 questions, where this week's subject's favourite piece of music I was surprised to see has it over 600 million downloads, and I'd never actually heard the song before, so stay tuned to see what that mystery piece of music and who our mystery guest for 20 questions is. All that and more between now and 10 o'clock. But first, joining me on the phone to cast an eye over some topical business stories is Laura Slattery, media correspondent of the Irish Times. Good morning, Laura. Sorry I had the wrong button pressed. How are you there, Laura? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well. Now, um, I tried to contact you uh, last week, I think it was, and I got the old out-of-office. You were on a bit of a domestic break. Um, uh, in many years, you know, options to travel would have been open. You took a bit of a trip around Ireland. How did you find it? Yeah, I did. And I suppose I did something I've, I've sort of un- probably underdone in the past, which is I stayed in Irish hotels. Um, I was in Kilkenny, actually. I was in, I was in Westport. And uh, I had a, you know, a beautiful time in uh, some, you know, really good uh, <laughs> uh, places. But We won't pry. The real, the real um, advantage this time around, and it's really noticeable, and you almost feel some sort of residual guilt about it, is that hotels have this advantage of indoor dining. So you can you can book in advance and you, you have your time and you're well spread out from other, other diners. But if the if the weather is terrible, which it wasn't great when I was in Westport, um, you you're sort of sit, you're sitting sitting pretty, um, whereas a lot of the people are sort of walking in around the rain, uh, looking for somewhere with a bit of a canvas over, a pretty wild and you know windswept uh, bay. 
but um, so you kind of feel like uh, you wonder how long you know that that difference can continue. Is it sustainable? This is such a huge gap in, I suppose. First of all, the difference between people who can afford to pay for hotels and people who can't, but also the businesses who that can you know that have the, you know accommodation that they can provide uh, and those that don't. So, yeah, and, and a hugely different world. experience when you arrive in a place like Kilkenny and good to hear you enjoyed it, or Westport, because uh, you're kind of confined to base, because usually the joy of going to these uh, places is that you can wander around and drop in for a coffee and drop in for a, a meal or something like that, but a, a lot of those options closed off. Yeah, I mean, it can, it, can be, it can be a little bit hairy, I think, for people in terms of planning. I think especially um, people with young families, because... It's just an, an extra sort of stress and strain, you know. It, 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 you might have your, as you say, your dinner booked in the hotel and obviously breakfast as well, but, but there's a, that's a whole third meal of the day in the middle of the day. And I know a lot of people are quite good. And maybe it's, it's sort of a banal and kind of a pressure to have. But, but a lot of people are, are going on holiday uh, to sort of get away from the supermarket and uh, just be able to drop in on places. And when that element of uncertainty is there, I think, I think there's, there's a lot of people, there's people fed up sort of, in a way, it's actually harder this summer than it was. Uh, last summer, so yeah, uh, it's, it's challenged. Yeah, and we'll be talking to Parik Cribben, the Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. A lot of frustration in that sector. The government kind of saying, uh, the Irish Times reporting this morning, and Leo Varadkar saying uh, indoor hospitality will be reopening probably between July 19th and 26th. It's a tricky communications challenge for the government in this instance because we're in a pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of impatience, public fatigue at this stage, but they have to be very much on top of their communications or it could all blow up again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the the prospect of having this uh, vaccination to the past ready for July 19th is, is incredibly challenging. I think what they're saying is that they'll have the plan ready for July 19th, but when the actual date happens is, is, is another thing. And I think it's uh, people are wondering as well, especially families, some of whom might be vaccinated and some of whom won't be by that time. Uh, maybe it's only a few weeks in it, but... Uh, I think there's all these kind of little uh, people are getting, you know, people are understandably frustrated and they sort of think about their own personal situation rather than the bigger picture. But um, yeah, I don't really blame anyone who's doing that because we've all we've all been here for, you know, nearly uh, eighteen months now, and uh, it's at the stage now you kind of think we should be ready. We should be ready to go. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, from domestic tourism, um, hopping over neatly kind of going to Portugal, Spain, Greece or one of those places to space tourism. You've been writing very amusingly, I must say, just last Monday in uh, the Irish Times about Jeff Bezos ruining space for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, no, um, most of us here obviously are stuck on this, this island, but the sky isn't even the limit for Jeff Bezos. Uh, he's heading into space at the un- over 100 kilometres above sea level. There's a sort of a technical row about where space begins. Um, uh, in about nine, uh, ten days' time from now, uh, and he announced that a couple of months ago, he's um, you know he's, he's had his, his space exploration company Blue Origin on the go for a while, and ultimately they hope to take tourists to space. And indeed, there is an auction winner on this uh, flight that he's also personally going to be on. He's recognising uh, a dream or living a dream that he's had since he was five. When he was five, um, it was nineteen sixty nine when the moon landings happened. So he's a. I think he's worth 180 billion. Was the last time I checked. Could be. Could have got up a few billions or <laughs> down. Yeah, there's interest. Yeah. Compound interest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so he announced that um, a couple of months ago. But then um, there was a kind of a plot twist where <laughs> uh, 
uh, Richard Branson, who's had uh, his company uh, Virgin Galactic on the go for a long time as well, and has a lot of has been, had a few false starts. I think it's, it's fair to say on the space tourism front. Uh, he said he's going to go on board a test flight, which is actually scheduled um, to take off tomorrow. Mm. Um, I assume weather weather permitting. So there's been kind of a sort of it's turned into a kind of an ego trip between the two men, or it's, it's, it's very easy to interpret it that way. Yeah. And there's a third, there's a third billionaire in town, uh, Elon Musk, who has a lot of them. Um, he wants to colonize Mars or something. But um, <laughs> and he, his company has actually made a lot. His company SpaceX has actually made a lot easier and cheaper for uh, to, to launch rockets and to. To, to get out there and sort of, you know, have this new wave of, of, of space industry, which is really important for all of us in terms of communications and data storage and the environment and everything. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, you did say, um, you, you quoted Richard Branson, and I, I thought you got it well. You said, I think in relation to his rivalry with uh, Jeff yeah. Bezos, I think both of us will wish each other well. It doesn't yeah. really matter if one of us goes a few days before the other, Branson told CNN, with no more than his usual smirk. He is a canny operator and knows how to capture the headlines, old Richard, doesn't he? Yeah, he's. I mean, he's been at this game for for much longer than Bezos. Uh, I remember, I remember Branson being, you know, the the hot air balloon uh, era, uh, Branson. And this is a, this is part of his personality. I think that you know, it's genuine. It, like I think it comes from a, from a genuine place. Like uh, sometimes I'd be a bit skeptical skeptical about the idea. You know, that entrepreneurs are are, are risk takers in in all cases. But I think you have to say that Richard Branson is a risk taker. And I think there's a huge potential for sort of headlines to go wrong for both Branson and Bezos over the next uh, uh, couple of weeks. And uh, this might be one of the reasons like, why Jeff Bezos actually stood down as, as the chief executive of Amazon, because I don't think you could have somebody who's going to space uh, running a, a huge public company like that. <laughs> because we do get kind of um, blasé about going up into space, but it is actually quite dangerous. And there have been um, accidents. I mean, somebody was killed on the uh, Virgin space yeah. test flight yeah. a couple of years ago I, and so on and it yeah. is um you know I wonder would old Jeff and Richard have key person insurance in place <laughs> there's a thought yeah I think that actually is a bit of a people are wondering about that actually I don't think it's, it's fully settled um so it's 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 because of these huge consequences that you would think um maybe especially for Amazon but obviously for for uh, for uh, all of Branson's interests as well and yeah I mean there was a, a sort of a, a, a funny angle and this was that um, you know the Blue Origin that space as his company was sort of sneering at Branson and saying he's only going 80 kilometres above um, sea level and he's technically not you know above the line that many people agree is the sort of barrier between um, the atmosphere and, and space but both both men are due to sort of experience kind of weightlessness which many you know astronauts say is the definition of being a, a, an astronaut and mm. also I think the view <laughs> the, if you have you know the window there and there's a view and you can see down uh, on earth and the, the, the surface uh, or you know the, through the atmosphere it, that's sort of what I think they're chasing as well. Really. Yeah and, and we can talk about space tourism and kind of you know all these kind of science fiction things about people going on holidays to Mars and so on but mm. you know the, the pushing of the barrier whereby you can have private companies albeit on the huge scale of Amazon and so on and and, and you know I, I don't mean private but I mean uh, non-governmental organisations mm, mm. um, but it will lead to uh, you know business innovation just as the space race uh, led to innovations in technology that are now part of our daily lives. Yeah I think we forget you know like 
you know, broadcasting in particular, you know, satellite broadcasting, I mean, that, that wasn't possible before the the 60s and it, it took a long time to, to even then to, to sort of become standard. Uh, and now, uh, you know, it's, you know, we're talking about 5G advances. We're talking about, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, it's a lot cheaper to launch a, a really small satellite uh, now that uh, will sort of improve um, communications in places that are otherwise, you know, hard to reach. And as you know, we all know about the black spots. And I think, you know, you know, SpaceX was indeed sort of investigating sort of broadband options, as I understand it, in, in parts of Ireland. So there's still huge advantages, and we don't we don't even realise you know how far this can go really. And in fact, another side issue is, is how much sort of debris is. <laughs> I mean, space is infinite, obviously, but um, we're pumping up a lot of uh, a lot of uh, space debris. You know, defunct satellites over the decades as well. So yeah. it's, it's actually interesting how how much you know. There's there's a lot of trial and error, shall we say, with uh, with space. Uh, Space travel. Yeah, you mentioned broadcasting and, you know, you did say, uh, you know, commercialisation. Casey Lord does have a rather flash outside broadcast unit. Perhaps we need to start thinking about getting a spaceship, but um, <laughs> yeah. we, that, that might be uh, for the next chief executive. I'm sure there's a bank, there's a bank that might, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Sell them, sell them the dream. Um, just finishing off, but get also in the billions uh, category, uh, the two lads from, I think it's County Limerick, Patrick and John Collison, their uh, Irish Times reporting today they're expected to move towards a listing yeah it's funny you should say I think from County Limerick because that's a huge uh, source of contention because they I think they, they, they lived in Tipperary but went to school in Limerick and, and hmm. so they're claimed by both counties we wouldn't know <laughs> um, anything but, uh, about that kind of thing in this part of the world <laughs> And uh, they, um, yeah, their company Stripe, which is this massive uh, payments company with huge business clients, uh, it's worth about, at the last valuation, it was worth about 95 billion, so you could say half a Bezos. Um, but uh, they, that's a huge number. It's one of the biggest privately owned companies in the world. So they'd kind of said that they weren't going to, you know, go public, which is sort of, they're floating on, on the stock exchange, essentially. Um, but it looks like they've hired legal advisors to sort of investigate investigate their options there. So I think people think it's probably, if not inevitable, then very likely that maybe at some point next year there will be this big stock market debut in New York. And this company that's worth $95 billion could indeed raise more finance and be worth even more, you know, or have an even higher valuation. And the two... Carlson Brothers, of course, um, they're worth it, they're estimated themselves to have personal worth of about $9.5 billion. Uh, And, um, you know, recently uh, one of the brothers uh, paid about $20 million for the uh, estate there in, in, in Leash. And it sort of, sort of just goes to show, I suppose, that wasn't really a huge sum of money for him to, to spend yeah. uh, based on what they've achieved so far. Um, but Perhaps time for him to start thinking about getting a space project. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it is interesting to see what 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 kind of issues uh, billionaires they do tend to have. Um, they do tend to have a pet area. Um, of course, um, some people say some people are obviously critical of the space thing because um, Bill Gates, to be fair to him, did put a lot of money into uh, uh, malaria uh, over the over the decades. Um, so it is interesting. Yeah, uh, they're certainly very important figures uh, for uh, Ireland, and in, in a way, maybe we, you know we, they get a lot of media coverage, but in a way. 
um, they could be getting even more, I think, over the, over the years ahead. Yeah, still quite young men and a great success story. Laura, a pleasure talking to you and I'd recommend uh, your article to anyone listening uh, which is on Irish Times Online. It would be wrong to let Jeff Bezos ruin space for the rest of us. Great article, Laura. Thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, John. Okay, that's uh, Laura Slattery, media correspondent for the Irish Times, giving her take on Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson and the rest of them. We're staying on Earth here on The Bottom Line. Just a reminder that there are uh, boil water notices in operation for a large part of County Carlow, including Carlow Town, Tullow, Ratvilly, uh, Palatine, Nurney, Tinryland, Tankardstown, and uh, water must be boiled for drinking, drinks made with water, preparation of salads and similar food, uh, brushing of teeth etc. So you can check out Irish Water or indeed tune into any of Casey Law's social media channels. We'll be back after this talking about the licensed vintners trade and the issues facing them in these difficult COVID days. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast largest independent accountancy practice www.omf.ie KCLR. Proud to be local. Proud to be local indeed and a very important local business sector are the uh, pubs and uh, the licensed trade and many of them throughout the area of Carlow and Kilkenny have very uh, sadly and challengingly been closed for much of the lockdown. Uh, The Irish Times reporting this morning that indoor service could be back by July 19th uh, but the Tánishta is uh, hedging his bets somewhat and is saying that it will be probably between July 19th and 28th. Joining me on the line to discuss this, the last number of months which have been so difficult as I say and hopefully the way forward for the licensed trade is Porrick Cribben, who's the Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Good morning, Porrick. Morning, John. It's been very difficult. Uh, you and I spoke on the programme some months ago, but I don't think either of us, and I'm sure your members, couldn't have thought that this was going to take so long and be so difficult. Taking a really tough toll on publicans. Yeah, uh, I mean, many of our members have been closed now since the 16th of March uh, last year. Um, some that may have opened uh, for a period of about three months uh, in the meantime uh, and some maybe for a period of uh, 16 days but there's quite a number who haven't traded for for that period of time and it's very difficult for any business to sustain itself financially that's before you get into the um, uh, the mental toll that has taken on, on, on a lot of the members and indeed the staff the suppliers and the suppliers to the suppliers so it, it's not just a uh, it's not just the publicans who, who have suffered greatly. I mean, there have been 50,000, 60,000 staff that have been out of work, uh, major suppliers, both, um, both drink and food, who, who have, I have to say, have been very good to the trade uh, in, in, in that period of time. And then you have the food suppliers uh, who are supplying those distributors. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the tentacles of the, of the industry go right out to places sometimes not seen, and it, it, it has that mushrooming effect 
negative in this instance uh, uh, on, on, a, on a lot of parts of society. And oftentimes people who may not be involved in the business just don't realise the complexity of it. I mean, I was under the sort of misapprehension in the early stages of the pandemic, um, you know, that it was just a case of turning off the lights and then coming back in maybe a day or two before you reopen and turn on the lights again, dust down the place and off you go. But then I spoke to a drinks wholesaler and, and I got a whole different insight into stock cycles, sell-by dates, best before, all of this stuff, you know, credit. It's really very complex. So the the changing around and sometime between the 19th and the 26th or whatever date they're saying, that's just a nightmare from a business point of view. Uh, it is a nightmare. I mean, if you think over the last 15 months, the, the, the major drink suppliers, the draft suppliers, have, have distributed and taken back somewhere in the order of a half a million kegs. Wow. Uh, now, if you think of the, the logistics of that alone, and it's not just when they take them back. When they take them back, the, the, the product then has to be disposed of. It has to be disposed of uh, in, in a safe manner. It, they have to be disposed of in, 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 a, in an eco-friendly manner. And, and also, uh, one of the things that won't be being seen is that excise has already been paid on those products. And it has to be done in a manner that revenue are happy so that that excise can be reclaimed. So it is it is a major issue. Then when you get into the more short-term stuff, like, you know, will it be Monday or will it be Wednesday? You've got to look at the, the whole area of those that are involved in food, fresh food, whether it be meat, whether it be veg, whether it be produce or whatever. So, and as you say, it's not just like turning on and off a switch. Uh, you know, beer lines have to be cleaned. Uh, and if you take that, there are about 8,000, maybe 9,000 if you add in hotels, outlets in the country. Some of them can have anything from 12 to a multiple of that of, of beer lines, all of which have to be professionally cleaned by by um, people who... It's, it's normally done on a cycle of about 20-odd uh, days. Mm. But they all now have to be professionally cleaned. So it's not a... This is not like... Uh, into a normal retail shop where you can turn on, turn off the lights. So that's not to diminish the issues that normal retail shops have had. Mm. So it is a very complex operation. So if you if you clean them on the basis that you think you're going to open on the 19th, and then you might have to delay it by a week or two, that, or that worst won't case, be an issue. yeah, yeah, no, that won't that, that won't be an issue. Okay, uh, but it's it's part of the complexity of 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 the process. You know, there are things like. You, you've got to get your cold rooms down. You, you, do you turn on your refrigeration this day or do you leave it for a week? There's cost involved in all of that as well. Mm. Now, uh, the the plan is to bring, uh, uh, Mr. Varadkar said yesterday, the plan is to bring proposals to Cabinet on Tuesday that will enable uh, the opening of indoor hospitality in line with NEFIT guidance. What are your members and you as Chief Executive of the VFI hoping for? Well, we have been very concerned since it was first noticed that there would be a type of um, segregation used. Now, we're not happy with this at all. We don't think it's the right way to go. We think it's we think there's a level of unfairness in it. But one of the things that really exercised our minds was that our members could be leaving themselves open to claims under equality law, under discrimination law, under GDPR. We made this very clear to government um, as soon as as soon as this concept was mooted. Mm. Uh, now, government are now saying, we will deal with that. 
we will deal with that by way of primary legislation. And I know out there in the in the general community, there is there's quite a lot of unease about this. But essentially, from our point of view, it, it was it was a pretty I won't say a simple choice, uh, but the choice was it's either this or you will not get open until September October. Uh, and if you have not traded for the last uh, 15, 16 months, uh, you know, that, that's, it's a pretty easy choice in some respects and a difficult one in other respects. So what we're expecting government to do is we're expecting that there will be clarity brought that from a legal perspective, our members will be covered in, in, in the context of implementing the scheme that's being put forward by government. Um, and we believe that if the political will is there, that can be done for next Monday week, uh, because obviously the, the, the doll is only sitting until the end of the coming week. Uh, they're off on their summer holidays. Mm. Uh, so it has to be done in that t- time frame. On top of that, then, arising from that, there has to be the, um, the guidelines for reopening. But we believe all of that can be done next week to give us the opportunity to open early the following week. Yeah, some people though, when they hear you talking about GDPR and equality and so on, and say like, like, how likely is that? But I suppose it is a very real um, uh, fear of your members, who in many cases would be hit by bogus insurance claims, by people trying stuff on. So unfortunately, you have to prepare for the worst and the most mischievous and the most um, worst case scenario when it comes to the legal things. Although most people would be just pleased to get in. Most people would be just pleased to get in, but if you saw my inbox yesterday, uh, you would say it would be a very wise thing to make sure that you're absolutely, uh, absolutely covered because my inbox has been jammed uh, by people, not in the um, uh, most polite way, telling me where to go and what they're going to do if they're refused. Mm. And, and that's not publicans, that's uh, people, members oh, of the public. It's absolutely not publicans, no. Right, so you are facing threats even at the moment, so you're, you're, the doors aren't even open and there's kind of trouble looming, so you want to be sure to be sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, we, we saw this as soon as the, um, as I said, as soon as the concept was mooted, uh, and, and we made it very, very clear at the highest level within government, look, um, this, this is not as simple as you guys are making it out to be. Uh, there are all these issues to be resolved. Uh, it took them a little while to, to, um, for that to sink in, uh, but once, once it did sink in, uh, it looks like as if they're taking it seriously. Yeah, now, when you, when your members do reopen, uh, as you say, many of them not open since March of last year, are the Irish pubs ever going to be the same again? Hand sanitising, social distancing and all of that kind of stuff? Look, the, the, the Irish pub is all about hospitality. Uh, it's all about fun uh, it's all about conviviality. Uh, social distancing uh, is probably the antidote to all of those. But uh, as these things will pass, um, you know, we will get back to what we know uh, the Irish pub to be, where you know where you can stand shoulder to shoulder uh, with with your mates, uh, whether it be uh, having a pint or having a pint with something to eat or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it will get back there. It will take. Look, we have to be realistic. It's going to take a certain amount of time uh, because uh, the public will need a certain amount of time to readjust. Uh, but if you look, and I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't hold them up as poster boys in all of this, uh, if you look across the water uh, come uh, the 19th, uh, all of those restrictions are gone. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that that's the way 
we should go here, but we should have a pathway to, mm. to, to being there. And that pathway needs to be clear. And, you know, we are talking about having all of the adult uh, population that want to have a vaccination, that they will have a vaccination by the end of August. And if the real vaccination bonus that has been spoken about for the last six, nine months is to be in play, I mean, at, at that point in time, it has to be, it, it's obvious that there has to be a return to normality. Uh, finally, you know, the pub trade is a is a tough business. You know, you might be up late, but you have to, you know, get up the next morning and start all over again, fresh and clean with the place cleaned out. How is morale uh, among your members? Are they looking forward with optimism or are they just so beaten up at this stage that, you know, it's it's going to leave scarring? I, I think there's a mixture there, if I'm honest. Um, you know, there, there are people who, you know, if you happened... Um, uh, opened your business for for a period of sixteen months. Uh, there's there's a mixture of a sense of excitement, apprehension, fear. Uh, there's all of there are all of those emotions that are there. But the one thing that we've seen over the last decade or so is that there's also a very high level of resilience. There's a high level of adaptation, uh, and you know I suspect that you will see that come to the fore in the weeks and the months ahead. Well, Parik, hope you're right and hopefully next time we speak on The Bottom Line we'll be looking back on months of successful reopening and discussing other issues about how the licensed trade and all the people who run businesses and employ uh, hundreds and hundreds of people across Carlock Kilkenny are growing and doing well. I look forward to that. Okay, Porrick, thanks very much and good morning. That's uh, Porrick Cribben, who's Chief Executive of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Coming up after the break, we'll be asking 20 questions to someone whose identity will be revealed after these. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie 20 questions is the feature where we ask our guests 20 questions designed to give you an insight into an individual outside their role in business or an organisation. So very interesting one this week. Have a listen to who we've lined up. My name is Linda Cadool. I live in Kilkenny City. I'm currently the president of Network Ireland Kilkenny. I do that on a voluntary basis and my day job is working as a business advisor with AIB Business Banking. And where were you born? I was born just across the county border in Waterford Regional Hospital. And tell us a bit about your family when you were growing up. Well, as I say, we were we were raised in Piltown, County Kilkenny. Um, I have two older brothers. And what about your education? I went to school in Newtown School in Waterford. Then I went to the United Kingdom to go to Sparsholt College to study wildlife and conservation management. Then later on, when I was working full time, I did a master's in management program through Michael Smurfett UCD Distance Learning College. And what was your first grown-up job? Well, for as long as I can remember, I've always had some kind of job, from working with the neighbouring farmer milking goats and beekeeping to picking fruit in Kildalton College and packing carrots in Ivork Produce. But I think my first real job was a breakfast chef with Waterford Castle Hotel. Apart from your parents, who's had the greatest influence on your career path? My husband, Nick, has been so supportive of my career. He's always stood by me and he's always encouraged and allowed me to do the the courses and developments that I wanted to do. 
And what's the favourite thing about your career? My career so far has been extremely diverse. As I mentioned, I started out in the hospitality sector um, and then I moved into... um, wholesale and retail production here in Kilkenny before actually starting in the hospitality sector so I've managed to meet very interesting and varied people which I love. And uh, what has been the most important or defining moment in your career? I think for me the most defining moment in my career was certainly making the decision to move into the banking sector because prior to that whilst my jobs were important to me I'd never really settled down on a specific career path but once doing the masters it really focused my mind into being becoming into a little bit more business management. And can you tell us about a typical working day? Well, as you can imagine, my working day has changed quite drastically since COVID came in. Um, Prior to COVID, I was in and out of the office and I was out meeting customers, um, attending events, whereas now I'm working from home all the time. So I'm sitting in front of a computer. But my day starts with, with switching on the computer and doing a little bit of Network Ireland stuff before starting the working day. After I finish, then I do a little bit more Network Ireland Kilkenny stuff and most evenings then I might have some Zoom calls later on which would last the rest of the evening. What do you value most in a colleague? I value most in a colleague um, someone who treats their co-workers with respect and is a team player and where they're willing to learn and grow together. They'll help to develop everybody along with them. And how would your colleagues describe you? It's funny you should actually ask me that because I did actually ask some some colleagues and friends recently as part of a career development programme as what they actually would come to me for Um, and the most resounding thing was that I'm a very driven person and that I would go through hell and high water to achieve my goals and my aims. They also said that I'm very straight talking, non-judgmental, organised, forward thinking and works really well under pressure. And how do you deal with setbacks and overcome challenges? I think setbacks and challenges are a test of a person's character. I try to stay calm. I try to think outside the box um, and learn from them because if you don't learn from your mistakes, then they could crop up again in the future. But you have to also stay positive and think about your future. What's been the proudest achievement in your career to date? To date, I think becoming the president of Network Ireland Kilkenny has been the proudest achievement. I am really honoured and privileged to represent the members who are amazing and inspirational women and they're also so supportive. What advice would you give to people starting out in their careers? I'd have three pieces of advice for people starting out. Number one would be to do something that you like and what you're good at. Number two would be to find a mentor who can help you devise a a career path. And number three would be to join a networking group where you can meet people both inside and outside the field of your choice. How do you like to relax? I have two hobbies. My first hobby would be to go horse riding and the second then is to go walking out in the fresh air with my dog. Tell us about your favourite holiday destination. Well, my husband is from Côte de Provence in the south of France um, and we love going down there because you're not too far away from the sea and you're not too far away from the mountains. The weather is usually good and there's plenty of rosé to be drunk. What has the COVID-19 pandemic made you realise? The pandemic has made me realise that you need some sort of escapism. You need to be able to disconnect yourself from work and sometimes even from your family. So having a hobby is very, very important that you've got some, some sort of freedom to go and do it. 
Tell us about a business book that you'd recommend and why. I wouldn't be an avid reader, but a friend of mine recently recommended Who Moved the Cheese by Dr. Spencer Johnson. And it's a motivational business fable. It tells the story of two mice and two small people. And it tells about their challenges that they've had to overcome in their lives and what impact making those decisions have on later life. Tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. I love going outside. I love being out in the fresh air, putting on my wellies and getting my hands dirty, doing some things like gardening um, and things like that. And finally, what's your favourite piece of music? My favourite piece of music is a piece of music that I find that gives me a little bit boost of adrenaline. If I'm out walking, my pace will suddenly pick up and I tend to forget about things that I would have been thinking about and just all of a sudden get wrapped up in the music. And that is Sail from AWOL Nation. AWOL Nation there at the choice of Linda Cadoul, who was our guest on 20 questions this week and Linda uh, president of Network Ireland Kilkenny who recently announced the winners of the Business Woman of the Year Awards and congratulations to all four winners Kate Fleming uh, Deirdre Grant Michelle Tracy and Hilary Hughes and all four go forward to compete in the Network Ireland Business Woman of the Year Awards now from sale by AWOL Nation to Motors and the Society of Irish uh the Irish motor industry released a statement during the week where they said the motor industry is optimistic that 212 registration uh, registration plates will spell good news and hopefully increases for their members. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Tom Cullen, D- Deputy D- Director General of the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, John. I like the way you did that link there. Very good, very impressive. Absolutely, yeah. Sure, look at uh, corny links are my <laughs> my speciality. <laughs> Tell us how you're feeling about the the, the current future for the motor industry. Uh, I suppose the, the, the po- it's quite positive for the next few months as we move into the July period for uh, which we're in for the new car market and the second registration period of the year. Overall, like anybody, it's been quite a challenging few years. Uh, but what has happened is that as a result of COVID. There were huge worries and, and concerns about the industry in 2020 when we had huge levels of used stock carried in four courts while we were on lockdown. The fear was that those would plummet in value. But what happened uh, was that when we did open up on the 18th of May 2020, we ended up with quite a demand for used cars, uh, primarily because the UK market 
to be still earning while they were on lockdown. And those people with that saved money translated their maybe a 131 car into a 181 registration. So the used car market has been very strong for the last 12 months. The new car market is way behind where it should be and needs to be. Um, and a lot of that was caused because of Brexit. Um, uh, we started off in 2016 with 146,000 new cars. With a, with a thriving economy, it hoped to be around 160,000 new cars every year. We're at 146 in that year. But after the Brexit vote in 2016, the new car market plummeted. This year, on the back of COVID, we'll probably do around 100,000 vehicles. So we're way off on, in terms of new cars. We're strong in terms of used cars. We're strong in terms of the EV market, small as it may be. But, um, uh, but yes, certainly if, to, if there's to be any ambition about uh, moving the fleet to alternative fuels, then uh, uh, we have to be selling a lot more new cars. And uh, the level of savings among Irish consumers, it's a silver lining of, of COVID. Um, but you'd be hoping, presumably, that people will take the jump and invest in electric vehicles. Um, big growth, although the numbers are still small, but all in the context of huge targets outlined by the government over the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely, John. About 12 billion in savings at the moment as a result of COVID. So that's been spent on the garden, the house extension and the, and the change of the car. So we've been fortunate enough that, as I mentioned, in the used car market, a lot of people have looked out with their car outside. It's become a lot more important to them during COVID because they've needed it to get around it during the lockdown of last year. It had to be in perfect working order. You couldn't afford to be in a situation where the car didn't work. So people upgraded their cars when they had that extra few thousand euro of savings. And uh, so that, that's set to continue. You know, after the lockdown we've just been through, um, we, are, we are going to see people translating their, their, uh, their saved money into new cars. As you mentioned, the EV market is up. Uh, we'll probably do around 10,000 electric vehicles this year, which is quite a significant number from where it was, maybe at 4,000 last year. So with a lot more models, um, a, lot more, um, a lot more range is not a concern as much as it was. So we are going to see quite significant growth in the EV market. That being said, we're coming from a very low base. These, this is not cheap technology, so you have to be able to afford it to be able to get into it. So in order for this to become a mass market, which it's a long way from becoming, in order for it to become a mass market, we must have huge numbers of second-hand electric vehicles for people to purchase at affordable rates. Um, because many people, you know, very few people get the opportunity to buy a new car in their lifetime. Yeah. So they will buy a three- or four-year-old car or an eight- or nine-year-old car, and that need, that's, that's what the, where the market needs to develop. Okay, well, lots more to talk about and lots of interesting uh, subjects like autonomous cars and so on. We're going to take a break. I'm talking to Tom Cullen, who's Deputy Director General of the Society of the Motor Industry in Ireland. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. At the heart of it all. KCLR. KCLR indeed, just after eight minutes to uh, 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. And joining me on the line is Tom Cullen, Deputy Director General of the Society of the Motor Industry in Ireland. And we're talking about the motor business. Um, Tom, one of the big things that interests people, sometimes frightens them, are uh, what we call self-driving cars or autonomous cars or driverless cars. Tell us about that. Okay, well, your, your self-driving car is your, is your robotic car. It's the car that uh, feeds the information from around it, over-the-air information. It's connected, so it's taking all that information. It's making decisions on what it's going to do with the car without the intervention of the driver itself. 
So basically, it's hands off the steering wheel driving. So we're quite we're quite a long way from ways from it. But strangely enough, it's happening every day around us anyway. Because you know now, if you if you move out of the lane that you're in, the car is probably going to decide whether that's been a good move or not. I don't mean for overtaking now. I just mean that you've moved erratically out of the lane. It could be because you've fallen asleep. The car will decide that you know you're going to hit a barrier, and it'll take over the car and make the decisions on your behalf. The car, many of the new cars now can park themselves, so they can do that remotely. You can stand out with the car on the pavement, and the car will park itself on your behalf. So we are moving to a level of autonomous driving already, and that's going to accelerate quite quickly over the next few years. And this is being driven by road safety. And uh, as we reduce uh, the number of deaths on the road as a result of these fantastic innovations, we're going to see more and more of them. So that's a really good thing. The day when we actually step into a vehicle where we actually don't touch it at all and we just read our book, that's probably a little bit further away. Uh, you can imagine how the infrastructure would would have to deal with that vehicle and how the vehicle, that vehicle, autonomous vehicle that you don't put your hands on, could could operate within an environment where other people are making decisions based on their own personal behaviour rather than the, the computer deciding what to do. Is going to be a very very difficult transition. So you can imagine if you built a new town in the Midlands and everybody who bought a car there was autonomous and they could only drive it there, and maybe that's, that's quite a possibility. But it's going to be a very big challenge to integrate the two uh, and ensure that that's a safe, a safe operating environment. Yeah, for, so elements for, may, may arrive. Finally, we've got a minute left, uh, Tom. Looking ahead, are you optimistic and what do you want the government to do to support the motor trade? Yeah, I, th- I think we are optimistic. By, by our nature, we're an optimistic industry. Uh, I think the, uh, we've had some huge targets put out there, m- in many cases, just to grab media attention. But I think what we do need is we, we are in a transition. You're talking about the million electric vehicles. Yeah, we, we are on that. We, you know, we are heading in, the, in to be electric, that, that's for sure. Um, and for that, it's a huge opportunity for us because if every vehicle in the country is going to be electric, we're the people that's going to supply it. So we see that as an opportunity, which is great. But we must need, need realistic views about how we're going to do this. You, they are more expensive, so the incentives need to stay in place. We do need to have a much better infrastructure to be able to deal with the supply of these vehicles that are common. So that will have to be a, a, a very serious plan rather than a, a tokenism plan. And then at the end of the day, we have to move the whole fleet out. It's not just about introducing electric vehicles. We need people in older vehicles to move up to cleaner technology. Mm. And, that should be, and that can be helped by government initiatives. And then we need to move people along and to get more electric vehicles into the fleet so they can be purchased by the people who are buying a used car, which is predominantly the, the people that buy cars, not the people that buy new cars. So okay, Tom. It's, it's a combination of all those things that will get us to where we need to get to. Okay, Tom, pleasure talking to you as always. That's Tom Cullen, Deputy Director General of the SIMI. And best of luck to all your members, Tom, for a successful half of the year. Uh, that's July Thanks, to December. Thank you very much. And that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. And indeed, that's the last bottom line for a while as the programme is taking a break over the next few weeks. The good news is that from next Saturday, you'll be able to look forward to an extra hour of Breakfast Buffet with Brian uh, Redmond. And I'm sure uh, he'll have lots of summer treats in store for you and we can look forward to that and lots of good weather. If you're missing your weekly fix of the bottom line over the next few weeks, why not check out our archive on the KCLR app or on any of the podcast platforms? Just search for the bottom line 
KCLR. KCLR's business coverage will continue across our schedule on our news and online services and on our talk programmes. So if you've got a business story you'd like us to cover, do get in touch. You'll still get us at the bottom line at KCLR96FM.com. Thanks to all our guests this week, Laura Slattery, Parik Cribben, Linda Cadool and Tom Cullen. And indeed to all our guests over the last six months since the programme returned in the new year. We'll be back in late August, early September with lots more business stories and interesting people to meet. Thanks to the programme producer Deirdre Drummy, who does all the hard work behind the scenes and who is ever patient and always, nearly always, good humoured. Thank you very much Deirdre. Thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay, stay safe and stay tuned to KCLR. Keep on doing the best you can and keep the faith. I'll be back again. Until then, goodbye. Take care. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.